0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode. I'm Josh Nelson, and yes, I'm back from my vacation, visiting Seattle, Alaska, and British Columbia. And my voice sounds a bit off, well... COVID is still a thing, and I just recently tested positive, so I'll do my best to maintain through this episode. So what are we going to talk about? I'm going to get caught up with what I missed while away, but the servants at the Palace at 35th and Shields continue to talk. We know now why Rick Hahn has been carrying the tune that he has recently, as we know that his contract expires after the 2024 season. And now the latest report from Craig's Business Journal's Greg Hints one of the most well-connected reporters in Illinois politics, that the Chicago White Sox are starting their leverage play on a new stadium and threatening again to possibly relocate. We are recording this episode while the White Sox are playing the red-hot Seattle Mariners on Monday night. And for reference, the White Sox are already down 5-1 to one in the second inning, so we're not missing much, Jim, as Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, the co-host, joins me. Uh, So, Jim, uh, I didn't get to see, like, eight games the White Sox have played, uh, the games against the Brewers, the games against the Cubs, the games against the Rockies. And from what I've seen from the the first two innings against the Seattle Mariners, it looks like I haven't missed much, but what did I miss while I was away?
2: Yeah, that's a big part of it is really ugly first innings, the White Sox either grabbing a small lead or, you know, not starting off well and the pitching immediately crapping the bed that happened at Rocky against the Rockies at Coors Field and, you know, at altitude and such, like you can say, oh, you know, it's maybe use as an excuse in the environment, even though the Rockies have been you know struggling all year. But yeah, then they come home uh, closer to sea level and do that against the Mariners who are, you know, as you mentioned, red hot, but like. everybody's doing damage, not just Julio Rodriguez. So basically they've caught you up real, real good. I would say the only thing you really missed in terms of like signature moments, you know, aside from a nice uh, eighth inning on Sunday against the Rockies, like having Lenin Sosa have a couple big moments is nice, but like otherwise I think the defining moment of the season or a defining moment was the uh, second uh, Cubs White Sox game at Wrigley Field with uh the Gregory Santos blow in the save. uh Pedro Grafal calling it the worst loss of the year, even though um, the White Sox are well out of it and have nothing to play for. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically where we're at. And oh, also Grafal keeps, uh, well, I remember when he said that he did not want to compromise a major league win for development right and now, he's kind of teetering back and forth between like understanding why that was dumb for him to say and saying, guys should be playing every day. Like Sosa and Colas and Perez, and then like not doing that. So he doesn't know what he wants to do or how he wants to do it. So that's great.
1: (laughs) That's exactly what you want to hear. in a guy in his first year managing the ball club, a hundred plus games into his tenureship, still not knowing what he wants to do with this ball club, but we know he's got two more years left on his deal. Jim. At the very mm-hmm. least.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you, know it's, you know it's bad. You know there's some palace intrigue going on when the White Sox let it know one way or another how long people are employed for in the front office.
1: Yeah, they the White Sox don't do that. Unlike their counterparts with the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago Cubs usually have a big press release. Like, I remember when they re-signed Theo Epstein to that five-year contract. They provided specifics on how much money Theo could make. Like, here's his base salary. We... Hit some incentives, winning the division, winning the pennant, winning the World Series. This is how much money that the UFC can make while working for the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox completely mum. Like we have no idea what the contract status is for Kenny Williams. But we do know now about Rick Khan and Pedro Gafal, which we'll talk about them in a moment. Because to Jim's point, the palace intrigue, uh, Rick Hon's job status was the number one topic we were going to talk about until about 6 p.m. Central Time when the Cranes Business Journal in Chicago, which is a pretty critical publication uh, in the city, especially when it comes to business matters. Like, if you want to be in tune with what's going on on the business front of the city of Chicago, Cranes is an excellent resource. And front page on their website, the number one story from Greg Hins, which I mentioned in the intro, well-connected in Illinois politics, the Chicago White Sox are contemplating relocating and I think that's the headline that grabs attention Jim when you read through the story I think the this is there's two important parts White Sox fans one from the report quote no decision has been made or appears imminent but among the possibilities are moving to a new stadium in the city or suburbs or even relocating to Nashville a subject of reoccurring gossip on and off for years. There also is some chatter among team insiders that at age 87, Reinsdorf may seek to sell the White Sox while keeping ownership of the Chicago Bulls. Reinsdorf's longtime business partner at the United Center, former Chicago Blackhawks owner Rocky Wertz, recently died. The prospect of a White Sox move is serious enough that at least one Chicago developer who asked not to be named is preparing a bid and the situation has caught the attention of City Hall, where new Mayor Brandon Johnson's administration is quote planning to hold a conversation with the team about its future end quote, according to a senior advisor, Jason Lee. Jim, I know you have mentioned many times in our ten years podcasting about this damn franchise. You don't like this particular topic, mm-hmm. but unlike other podcasts that cover the White Sox, I think at Sox Machine. We are uniquely qualified to discuss this report from Cranes because one, I live in Bridgeport. And as a resident keeping an ear on the ground, I have a good feel of what's happening in this ward, in the neighborhood that the White Sox reside. Two, you live in Nashville. So you get to hear Mm. all of the rumors of Major League Baseball coming to that city because it's just not the White Sox. I know you texted me Baltimore and Milwaukee is also flirting with Nashville to try to create their own leverage. And you can provide perspective that Chicagoans don't get to hear about what is being talked about in Nashville. Let's start with the timing of this report. And again, it's somewhat curious after Bob Nightingale's report on Sunday, Jim, in the USA today, where he wrote in his column that the white Sox are having internal reviews. Maybe this is part of their internal reviews and it is the larger part and probably more important. Actually, it is more important than Rick Hans job status with the Chicago white Sox and, what the White Sox are going to do as far as their location and the the future at in the neighborhood of Bridgeport and their stadium situation. What do you make of the timing that this is now coming out a night after Bob ne- Nightingale's Sunday morning report?
2: Well, uh, I guess to speak to like the second part first about Nightingale Sunday report, like Bruce Levine and then others tweeted that like um, the White Sox did respond to it. In a way, saying that they always conduct these kind of internal interviews, um, you know, just after unsuccessful seasons. And we've had many unsuccessful seasons. As that was my tone I interpreted from it. Like, <laughs> just like, just like, uh, it reminded me of Pedro Grafal, like saying earlier in the season that, uh, he's been around teams that don't have it. And, you know, the White Sox are not it. And, like, yeah, that you've been around the Royals who seldom have it. Like, you, know, you might want to keep that quiet, but it's, uh, It does make me wonder, you know, seeing this story come up, um, that I wonder if there is a little bit of just five-year planning it, um, just trying to understand what might be happening with the sales, like what, what might be a good time to sell? Like, you know, if, if Reinsdorf assesses the landscape of, you know, public funding for stadiums or like, you know, interesting places to put stadiums that might get a certain amount of funding that he wouldn't have to pay for? Would it make sense for him to sell after that because the franchise value will have a certain amount more? Or would it make sense to be like, "Eh, let's get out now and have the next owner of the White Sox deal with the stadium or perhaps have the appetite to build a ballpark that turns into like a ballpark village that, uh, you know, Atlanta has or St. Louis has. So you know, I don't know if they're connected in terms of like Rick Hahn's job status being tied to the sale of the White Sox, but I can't see a situation of just like having a whole bunch of stuff to talk about because like Reinsdorf might say, you know, to the ownership group and to, you know, some front office members saying like, I'm just kind of getting an idea of what dollars I can get and what dollars I'd have to spend or how much it would cost to really pull off an effort to get the kind of sweetheart deal or close to the same sweetheart deal I got from my previous stadium. So, you know, heads on a swivel guys, uh, you know, there might be a change here. And so, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of heads up, but I do think having Rick Hans job status or his, his, uh, his, his uh, length of his contract out there is slightly different. And so I, I think disconnected from this greater big picture of where the White Sox are going or, who might be staying with the White Sox and who might be departing and who might be cashing out. So from the Nashville perspective, what
1: are you hearing living in Nashville about the city reacting to these rumors of a major league baseball team, possibly relocating to the city? Cause I know for many years now, mm-hmm. Nashville has had private investors build up a team to persuade major league baseball, to give them a new franchise once the league expands to 32 teams. Have you heard, or what have you heard Jim from a national perspective on the rumors about major league baseball coming into the city?
2: I haven't heard, you know, it it seems like from what I've heard in the meetings I've, you know, listened to caught up on through the news that, uh, they still want an expansion team or like they've always wanted an expansion team. They've maintained that the stance is about an expansion team. It's not like Montreal or like the two city plan with the Rays, like a possibly poaching somebody else. Like whenever it comes up, whenever the discussion of the in the Nashville stars, which is uh, Dave Stewart and the Negro Leagues Museum are part of this ownership group or like advocacy committee for a potential ownership group. That uh, you know, it's just new team. They have no interest in like getting somebody else. So uh, to me, like all of this Nashville heat is coming from the teams, um, you know, and just people want to relocate. Because also, like if they relocate a team, like they're not selling to Dave Stewart's group, right? You know, they're or or in all likelihood, like they're not going to like John Angelos with the Orioles. Like he, I guess he has a house in Nashville or he lives in Nashville. So when the Orioles weren't committing to what seemed like a pretty appealing public funding package for Camden Yards from Baltimore and and the state of Maryland that, you know, them not picking it up right away and like Angelo's getting really greedy about what he wants to do with the land around Camden Yards, which he doesn't own. That, you know, I I think made a lot of people worry that you know he might pursue his own Nashville uh, desires and move the team there. And same thing with the Brewers who are angling for money for Miller Park. Uh, saying that it's an outdated facility, which is laughable, but, like, you know, they're saying that, you know, if they don't get the public funds, they might move to Nashville, and their AAA team is in Nashville, so they already have a connection somewhat, but, like, you know, I don't think uh, Adnazio is going to sell to a Nashville group, so, like, all of those teams, or all of those groups would be moving teams down, so, like, the effort right now that's with Nashville is all people who want to own a team themselves basically, or at least you know, have the money to do that. And so it's angled more towards an expansion. Now, if there is a case where like one of these stadium matters does get critical, that maybe it'll change their tune or maybe it'll change their aims to where like, you know, maybe we don't need ownership, maybe a partial share or maybe front office jobs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, poaching another team or getting another team hasn't been the angle because all this, You know, I guess leading groups have been not civic based necessarily, but from a group of potential owners. So unlike Tampa
1: in the early 90s, this is flimsy because with Tampa, there was a stadium built. Yeah. (laughs) Like there was a ready move in situation. So when teams were threatening to move to Tampa, Chicago, San Francisco, they had to take that. Seriously, because there was a stadium that these teams could move into Nashville. There's nothing right. There's no baseball stadium no. that anyone could move into.
2: No, they're exploring possible land right now and possible public funding, but nothing is close to being uh shovel ready or even like, you know, bought yet for that. So no, they're years away. And so that's why I think expansion is more what they're angling towards because there is no ready plan to, Accommodate a major league team in a hurry right now. They're hashing out what the Titans are going to get for their uh, stadium, uh, you know, a a closed roof stadium, basically where Nissan Stadium is right now. So like that's been a big priority. So it's really hard to think of the state and the city having funding for a baseball stadium right away or like uh, concurrently with what's happening with the football stadium plan. So that's why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And like when it came to Tampa, like, you know, Reinsdorf has been, you know, or he was open about it in the nineties after the Sox stayed that, yeah, it was purely leverage or, uh, you know, the, the giants were doing the same thing with leverage. Like basically that, that stadium was perfect uh, for those uh, teams aims to the point where like Tampa, I guess, you know, that's how Tampa got a team is, or, or St. Petersburg got a team is because like, That was a whole lot of money for nothing. And like basically, you know, Major League Baseball was using them for pawns and like they could have sued the league for basically being promised a team that they didn't get and putting all this money towards it. And basically all they accomplished with their original stadium, the Suncoast Dome, as it was called, was just being a really sweet deal for teams to say like, we can move there right now. And, you know, that's right now what other team has. So like when Milwaukee's floating it, when Baltimore's floating it, Kansas City hasn't, I don't think Kansas City has been explicit about Nashville, but part of the thing they're doing with their attempts to relocate in a couple different downtown locations from Kauffman Stadium, and Kauffman's a lovely uh, ballpark too, like there's no reason to move out of there. And a lot of Royals fans aren't understanding uh, the drive to do so, is that just, you know, Everybody's centering on Nashville because like, yeah, Nashville can probably accommodate a major league team. Certainly, like I think as well as Las Vegas can. Uh, and, and Las Vegas is getting a team now. So, like, you know, that does open up smaller markets to become a potential landing spot. But I think they're just right now, it's pure leverage and not in the same way that Tampa was or the Tampa area was, because there's nothing close to being built here.
1: So the connection of the White Sox at Asheville. I think is incredibly flimsy. So if you're a fan reading the crates article, listening to this part of the podcast, worried that the white Sox could move to Nashville. I think that is very unlikely, Jim. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. I mean, for a whole host of reasons, not just Nashville, but any market, especially one that isn't close to having a stadium built, just because, you know, the league would have to approve it. The commissioner would have to approve it. And, Chicago already has a two team set up that works well. Everybody agrees to there are no territorial disputes between the Cubs and White Sox when it comes to like things like the Masson deal that right. hung up the Orioles and Nationals for years, or the way that the Giants prevented the the A's from moving to like San Jose and other areas that might have been uh, you know, more hospitable and, 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 you know, maybe had more public funding for the A's to relocate to a better ballpark. Like the giants were able to block that. So like the Cubs and White Sox are, you know, they already have a two team sharing agreement in like one of the largest markets in the country. So to go from there to Nashville or a much smaller market, nobody has really understood what the White Sox could ever do in Chicago because the Reinsdorf ownership era has been so terrible. Like that's what kind of drives me nuts about the whole like, oh, you know, White Sox don't support their team or they're gonna move. Is like any like, any owner who bought the White Sox. And that's why I'm intrigued by a biz. Like if you know, we talked about the idea of like a honeymoon period for a new owner, and like if a new owner came in with new ideas and like the White Sox made the postseason two years in a row and there were real changes with the front office and like the stuff they're doing, investing with in the front office like research and development, and they have they start like getting a reputation for. Being a real pipeline or a, a real uh, factory of players to go, like the White Sox would be huge. The White Sox would be drawing two and a half, three million easily. In Nashville, like if you move the White Sox as the current are in Nashville, like maybe they draw 1.5 million. Like it's not going to be a huge ballpark they're going to build because the metro area isn't that big. But like it's just like it's not going to draw. Huge amounts, uh, just because you know, if you have a team that's losing 90 games and really does nothing to inspire faith in the way they're operating, like, yeah, just it's smaller markets are not going to sustain a team as bad as the White Sox had been and as antagonistic to the fan base of the White Sox have been. So that's why, like, there's nothing wrong with the Chicago market holding two teams, there's everything wrong with the way the Reinsdorf has run the team. And I think, you know, if the White Sox vacated it, and I don't think they will, like, I don't think the league would approve it. Like I don't see why the league would say, like, oh, let's just get a better owner in here and make a lot of money.
1: Yeah, so Jim and I agree that Nashville, highly unlikely the White Sox would move there. Uh, it, I, I know I texted this to you, Jim, but to tell our podcast listeners that the whole Nashville angle to me is like, White Sox fans, can you please put a better product on the field and treat us paid customers better? White Sox ownership. What if we just got a new fan base? <laughs> like, like, yeah, we don't like kinda. you guys. You don't, you guys don't like us. How about we just move the team and we just get a new fan base? Why don't we do that?
2: That would, uh, kind of play into like the music band theme I've had this whole year of like the White Sox, um, just selling an invisible product that actually doesn't do anything. It <laughs> doesn't do anything. It's advertised. <laughs> and then uh, now here comes the skipping town part of like, oh, just out to the next city to, to, to uh, Find some suckers, but yeah, it's it does strike me as like a little bit conveniently timed in terms of like, well, you'd miss us if we were gone, no matter how much you drive you nuts, like and and just change the conversation a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think fan shaming had been a little bit absent from the proceeding, so the White Sox can't shame fans exactly because the product has been so despicable and so unlikable that there's you know they'd be laughed out of any forum they tried to stage that on. So now is the kind of uh, I guess cousin to fan shaming which is just like fan threatening it's a curious time to do it just because like relocating or or kind of dangling the idea of possibly maybe down the road if such and such and such and such and such such doesn't happen like relocating right now like as the White Sox are playing that falls under the field of uh, don't threaten us with a good time (laughs) like the White Sox fans being freed to root for anybody else whether they're have always liked other teams more or the way they run more or, or are even like Cubs curious, like oh, Cubs fans seem like they're having a good time. Maybe I can, you know, if the White Sox left, I could maybe not feel as bad for being intrigued by their product. Like who knows, but just, uh, you know, to do it now versus like when the team is actually good and it'd be a product you'd miss is uh, I mean, the White Sox can't, I suppose you could say the White Sox could pick their timing by like firing a front office and having accountability and ultimately caring about the product they put on the field. But since they don't, they really can't pick the timing.
1: We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But while we don't think the White Sox are to move to Nashville, are the White Sox going to stay in Bridgeport for the long term? We're going to talk about that next and Rick Hans job status after a quick word from our sponsors. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer, on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows, too. It can be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best-price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why GameTime is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the GameTime app, create your account and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code socks machine. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code socks machine for $20 off your first ticket purchase game time Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so we talked about the White Sox flirtation already leaked out that they could threaten to move to Nashville. We're not buying it. Nobody is going to buy it. However, will the White Sox continue to stay at 35th and Shields? That is a more intriguing question because relocating doesn't necessarily mean moving out of the city of Chicago also doesn't mean that they could just move out to the suburbs. And I think this part of the crates report is what we're going to be talking about, Jim, for the next three to four years, especially residents of the city, Chicago. And for the report, quote, looking ahead to the next 20 to 30 years, the functionality and viability of the team at its current location has to be considered a source close to Jerry Reinsdorf said. This is the time to evaluate other options in and around Chicago. End quote. The report adds a local government official who is a familiar with what's occurring said, quote, "The situation is the intersection of an owner who doesn't know how long he wants to keep the team, in a strategic real estate decision where you either have to move or develop the area around the stadium, like the Ricketts did at Wrigley Field." End quote. The report continues developing the area around Gary T. Ray Field, or even building a new stadium. And one-hour parking lots could present obstacles, according to the ISFA which is the Illinois authority that helps manage the Chicago White Sox. And I think they also help manage Soldier Field. When the authority floated such an idea several years ago, the local city council member and community groups objected. That is the 11th Ward. That is Bridgeport. Bridgeport and the residents rejected the idea of building around Guarantee Rate Field. However, as a new resident... There's a new council member, that's Alderwoman Nicole Lee. She now represents the 11th Ward. She could not be reached for comment in this report. So while we don't think the White Sox are going to suddenly move to your backyard, Jim, and that would be kind of funny if they did, uh, just between (laughs) you and I, them staying at 35th and Shields is a more intriguing question because along with their friends from the 108, we've been doing these road trips and going to Minneapolis and Cincinnati. You see on how newer stadiums are doing it with the ballpark neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bit jealous of what Cincinnati Reds fans have because that complex outside their stadium is wonderful. It's a great place to go before and after the game and continue to hang out. You don't have that. At 35th and Shields, whoever owns the White Sox when they build a new stadium will want to have that because that seems to be the new theme, Jim. Atlanta, St. Louis even has a ballpark village. Everybody wants this type of ballpark village. The White Sox don't have it. So whether Mm -hmm. it's Jerry Reinsdorf owning the White Sox or whoever is owning the White Sox when it's time to dig dirt and build a new stadium, they're going to want some type of ballpark village. And a ballpark village includes a small to medium sized hotel for visiting fans, condos to sell real estate, restaurant and bar fronts for people to go before and after games. It's a lot of development. As a Bridgeport resident, I don't know if my neighborhood, my ward has that type of appetite for that level of development because Halstead up and down still has empty storefronts and there is a certain sect of the neighborhood I call old Bridgeport. I nicknamed that. These are the people that have lived at Bridgeport for generations. They live in one part of the neighborhood and they don't like change. I live west of Halstead on Morgan And Morgan has seen a ton of change. And it continues to see lots of change. For those that are in Bridgeport, I live near Donovan Park. And I'm sure you would say Donovan Park has changed drastically in the last decade. With all the new single family homes and townhouses that are over there. And we're starting to see more of that in Bridgeport as a demographics change in the neighborhood. Where now the largest demographic in Bridgeport is Asians, They are now representing 40% of the ward as the overflow from Chinatown continues to move south into Bridgeport. Some people view it as an issue. I do not. I think Bridgeport's a great community to move into. And there's ample opportunity to continue adding more housing. And you have, what, four or five parking lots the White Sox could use to build a new stadium? But what Cranes writes in here, what the ISFA He's already talking about and what the mayor's office at city hall and the alderman's office in the 11th ward are going to have head butts. Are the residents at Bridgeport, do they have the appetite for this level of development? If they do not, I could see the white Sox moving from 35th and shields and relocating to another part of Chicago or moving to the suburbs. That part of the relocation I think needs to be discussed seriously, unless something drastically changes the next two to three years on the thinking of how the residents want this neighborhood to be. And right now there is some conflict of the residents who live here, both old and new that have moved into the neighborhood like myself. And it also brings up the question when the stadium does get built, Who's the mayor? Who's the alderman? We've had a lot of turnover in Chicago politics in recent years. This part here, these four paragraphs of this report, I think are the most important, Jim, and what we will be discussing in the next three to four years about the status of the White Sox at 35th and Shields.
2: Especially with who potentially owns a team then. Like, you know, as you mentioned, the the idea that like a Chicago developer is lining up a bid like, could be a case where like there's a Chicago developer or a group ownership group and including developers. It just says, yeah, we'll, we'll pay for a lot of the stadium because like we have other goals with real estate, you know, goals like mixed use, retail, et cetera, village condos, restaurants, et cetera. We just want to land to, you know, to prop up property value in place. We already own a lot of property and you know, the team is more or less incidental to that. And like, that could be fine mm-hmm. or it could be a case of just like, not having a whole lot of wrangling over public funds, and you know maybe Chicago loses the team in terms of loses it to the suburbs, but like ultimately stays around. Like the fan base remains. The fan base, a different part of the fan base's geography, is better served, and some you know like you and the guys from the 108 are worse served. <laughs> but uh, you know ultimately, like you know the the Chicago White Sox remain the Chicago White Sox or the Chicagoland White Sox. But I can buy that. Um, when it comes to, like, where they where they are currently located, like, I went to the game um, during the Brewer Series. You, you were out of town. You were so uh, uh, nice to give me your tickets for it. I was at the Sabre Seminar at IIT, so I was in the neighborhood anyway. But, like, going to the game, because that was my first game of the year, and, like, thinking about it in terms of just, you know, ease of getting to, like, the future of the stadium and such, like, aside from the big hassle of actually getting into the park, which is not so much a... Um, you know, a, a drawback of the park itself or the architecture, but just the White Sox mismanaging or not caring about the fan experience and really, uh, you know, using outdated technology or emphasizing outdated technology to hold up the pace of fans getting into the park. Like it's fine. Like the location's good, like easy to get in and out of, Um, you know, I met a friend there who took the red line down and could take the green line down uh, park on either side of the Dan Ryan for free or pay lots. Like there are options for parking uh, if you want it enough. And like, Nothing wrong with it, especially as like the, you know, the, you know, Bridgeport, as you mentioned, continues to evolve and people want to live close to the city. And and that becomes a little bit more desirable to move to. So, yeah, I mean, like it could work, but I think it comes down to just where the interests are of the people who own the White Sox or the person who owns the White Sox. And like if it's a case of like, yeah, I got a lot of land in Naperville. I can buy more and I just want to turn it into something like there might not be a whole lot of debate to be had in the city or for the, uh, you know, aldermen or alder, alder people to, uh, you know, have to drum up or fight against, you know, it just might be a case of, uh, you know, the money uh, invested by new owners, like ultimately deciding where they go, because I don't know if the state or the city wants to, you know, have that kind of awful deal around their necks anymore. <laughs> like they did when they, they basically got, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, Run over by Reinsdorf when it came to the leverage he had. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be fascinating. But ultimately, it comes down to like not so much Reinsdorf, although it has something to do with him right now because he, he's in power. But like, it could change dramatically based on like if he looks at the landscape and says like I don't want to have that fight anymore. I just want to cash out and put my attention in the Bulls. And then it comes down to what the new people want to do with the team.
1: Yeah, and the and the new people that would own the White Sox. My recommendation to them would be going door to door and putting the handout and trying to convince some of the long-standing Bridgeport residents that change can be good and the development would be a positive impact on the neighborhood. Because to your point, like those train lines, right? The Metra, the CTA, plenty of buses. You're right by the highway if you want to drive. That's what everybody looks for in Chicago when picking places to live. That, that would be desirable. Like, if you built a new stadium off of 35th and Shields, let's say back to the original stadium location, and you build a ballpark village that included a little hotel, let's say, but more broadly condos, I think they would sell immediately because housing is so needed right now in the city of Chicago. You could duplicate, I think, very easily what the Cincinnati Reds have. And while, to your point, it's very easy to get to the stadium and to get home, that's the problem right now for guarantee rate field. It's easy to get there unless you drive. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's no reason for you to stay. Like you got just uh, a court and carry. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's where people go after the game. You got one bar. That's it. Like, you don't have this ballpark village that provides more live entertainment, more drinking options, more food options, like all the new stadiums have. And that's part of where Old Bridgeport would just have to get over themselves that, yeah, it's going to be new places. It's not going to be the standing places that get all the attention. I mean, I know you and I talked about Schaller's Pump. I walk by that place every single day, Jim. It's still empty. No one's bought the parking lot. The building is for sale now. No one's bought it. So that's where I, as a Bridgeport resident and a White Sox fan, the next three to four years, what the ISFA has pointed out that we try to float this idea and it got shot down because of the local city council member and the community groups of Bridgeport objected to the idea. This is where we're going to talk about the next three to four years. The neighborhood is changing, but does the neighborhood have the appetite to be open and willing to this type of stadium construction. If not, then whoever owns the White Sox, Jerry Ryan, a New Ownership Group, may might feel more compelled to work with a community in Chicagoland that would be more open to that possibility. So while in six years, I do not think that the Chicago White Sox are to move to Nashville, in six years, I'm not sure if the White Sox are at Bridgeport. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about in the next three to four years. And I think it's time for all residents of Bridgeport and the key word being all residents of Bridgeport, having a conversation amongst ourselves and what we want this neighborhood to be.
2: You know, to the point about like Halstead and the empty storefronts and such, like there are, you know, concerns I think, or legitimate concerns to be had about like, you know, if we do build up around the ballpark, does it actually help the neighborhood? Because like, I remember when Yankee stadium was built and uh, the old Yankee Stadium um, was uh, basically right off the train line. You walk up uh, River Street, and like there are a bunch of bars, restaurants. There's a bowling alley I like to drink in. They had a bag check uh, because Yankee Stadium kind of had like a really, uh, you know, they had a bag policy before most uh, stadiums had bag policies. Uh, but if I was just like, you know, down there for the day, like I could leave my bag there for five bucks and get a couple of cheap beers at the bowling alley beforehand. But yeah. like, well, they built a new park and they talked about the economic impact it would have. And like, then they built a new park in the opposite direction to where like, you didn't pass by any storefronts. You didn't pass by anybody, uh, any independent businesses. You just went right off the train line into the park. And so your money was not spent in the neighborhood. So like, yeah, I think there are concerns to be had when it comes to any kind of, you know, public financing and, uh, Selling land to a private developer that might be serving a ballpark and people who travel in and out—that like, yeah, the money not might act, not actually go to uh, the greater neighborhood, even if there is like one big, um, several block area that's suddenly a lot more populated and lively than it used to be.
1: Yeah, this whole situation, regard as far as the stadium, we knew that it was coming. Uh, we knew that the stadium lease was going to expire in 2029. And at some point, they were going to be having this conversation. I thought maybe we wouldn't have this conversation for another year or two, Jim. But now the conversation has started, and it started by the Chicago White Sox, part of their internal review. And I think the biggest internal review for Jerry Reinsdorf is, do I still want to own this team? As soon as he answers that question, Then it trickles down to the other parts of the internal review of the White Sox moving forward. So while we talk about the big picture of where the White Sox are actually going to play, let's talk about the near future here and let's shift the focus back over to Rick Hahn. As again, he was going to be the number one topic in this episode before this crates report uh, dropped uh, about an hour and a half before we started to record. Rick Hahn having one year left on his contract, Jim, after this season. Totally explains why he's had the tone that he has. Explains why, at least publicly, he's trying to sell the idea that this team could still theoretically contend in the American League Central next year. Mostly because the division is still terrible. There was a great article in The Athletic by the remaining AL Central beat reporters. There's only like three of them uh, to talk about the state of the division. The division right now is on pace to be the worst division ever since divisions were created in Major League Baseball, uh, which is saying something so yeah it's been a really bad year in the american league central and it looks looking like it could be a bad year next year as well and rick hans trying to sell the idea hey uh let's not disrupt anything let's try to keep pace here because as bad as this year has been maybe luck will be on our side next year and all those things that we continue to hope and wish for will actually happen and we'll win the division in
2: 2024.
1: yeah (laughs) that makes a lot sense jim when you only have one year left on your contract,
2: yeah. Uh, to me, I, I wasn't quite sure if you're talking about like whether the tone was like when he got kind of pissy about the Keenan Middleton stuff and like started like you know no. making allusions like oh he's you know he's being a tech dog because uh, that's what the uh, White Sox need him to be right now and he's got to prove his worth. Um, yeah, I mean, like I can see just how bad this division is and how like the Twins are basically winning it by standing pat. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's a a case where, given that the White Sox can't do, like, a full-scale teardown, or at least since they didn't trade Dylan Cease, and they won't trace Luis Robert, nor should they. I think there's a better argument for trading Cease than Robert, but, like, they're not going to be doing a full-scale teardown, probably. So, like, there is a theoretical shadow of a possibility that, like, they could contend in this division and only this division. So it makes sense to like not completely ruled out and not like tell your players that like, Hey, we're going to be cashing in for the next couple of years. So just, uh, you know, compile your numbers and see where you end up. Like I think it does make sense to have a little bit of a unifying theme here, but yeah, like I didn't know exactly, you know, when Nightingale wrote that story and saying like that, uh, you know, you know, Reinsdorf is unhappy and tough as here he's been through blah, blah, blah. Because uh, who cares, uh, ultimately, when it comes to Reinsdorf's feelings and believing what he has to say about the standards for his team. But, like, you know, seeing, like, one year on Rick Hahn's contract, like, ah, um, hmm. And somebody else uh, tweeted me saying that, like, somebody mentioned that Kenny Williams, uh, his contract ends when Rick Hahn's does. Like, I'm, I can't verify that, so I'm not possible. Let's just say it's the case. Like, if that is the case and Rick Hahn is the only one specified... Um, that does kind of lend some credence the idea that like maybe the white Sox want to bring in somebody else just because like when, it, when you look at Kenny Williams, like at least he has 2005 and like that's becoming less and less important as time moves on. And uh, you look at those standard definition, replays of the 2005 world series and looks even older than uh, 18 years. But uh, at least it's like a a feather in his cap and his tenure with the White Sox as general manager was a success. Like Han has nothing. So like if he's being singled out and Williams can stay, that does maybe point to like, um, I don't want to part with either of my friends, but like if one has to go, like I know which one it's going to be, but yeah, it's it's hard to know just because, like, you never want to bet on the White Sox making transformational change. Even, like, you know, the Pedro Graffal thing theoretically was a transformational change in terms of, like, having an interview, like, seeking external candidates. But, like, seeing how it ended up, like, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore whether Grafal gets fired if, like, Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn still stay. Uh, nothing is really going to change. But to have him singled out, like, hmm, you know, like, it, it did – I did raise an eye seeing that because like, why him? And if so, like, Hmm. is that, you know, Kenny saying like, yeah, Han only has one year left or is Kenny like, cause he's talked about like when his contract is up, like he's going to like leave baseball and like, so maybe Kenny's exit's already planned and Rick's exit is maybe the one that is not necessarily um, a choice. Like not quite sure. Like uh, it's an open question, but those are like the possibilities I'm considering.
1: We have seen in Washington, I believe it was announced today, that they announced a contract extension with their manager, Dave Martinez, and their GM, Mike Rizzo. Both the manager and GM for the Nationals entering this season were in the last years of their contract, which is really rare to see both the GM and manager in their lame duck seasons together. But the way the Nationals have been played since the post-All-Star break has given National ownership – which, by the way, the Nationals are still for, for sale if you're interested in buying a baseball team, have decided to agree to new contracts with both Martinez and Rizzo. So it is possible that even though Rick Hahn could be entering a lame duck season in the final year of his contract, continuing to be the GM for the Chicago White Sox, I just don't know if it makes any sense no matter how, what angle you look at it. Like, if you think you could tend all right, well, clearly the last two years haven't gone well, so Rick Hahn's not the guy that could build us a team in an in, in offseason, gym, make the necessary adjustments to help us reconfigure this roster so we can win the American League Central. Like, I would say the confidence is very low with everyone involved that Rick Hahn is that guy. I could be wrong within the White Sox front office. Mm-hmm. If you don't think 2024 is going to go well, then there's no point in having Rick Hott as your GM entering his lame duck season. You might well just bring in somebody new and continue with the deconstruction of the roster reconfigure as far as who you have in the minor leagues to start building the next wave of talent. So either way, logically in my perspective, it doesn't make much sense to have Rick Hodd after this season, continuing to be the role that he has with the Chicago white Sox. So knowing that he has a year left in his contract He could join Lurie Garcia and get paid for another year for a job that he won't be doing for the White Sox. It'd
2: be kind of fitting, like, you're on the White Sox uh, ghost payroll as well. Um, Yeah, thinking about it a little bit more, like in terms of like the whole Kenny versus Rick or like, you know, Kenny hanging around and being able to choose his exit, but like ultimately needing to make a change so you don't get this weird lame duck situation where like there is like a no confidence in the current administration, but the White Sox like to be as charitable as possible to people who aren't players or fans. Um, thinking about the trades as they unfurled deadline, like that was a case of like, I was worried when Han was in the chair, like, you know, if, if he's had trouble making deals, is he going to make the, be able to like make the deals necessary that the White Sox need to make in this position. And like, he did a good job, I think getting okay value for Lin Giolito and Lopez and Graveman and Kelly. But then like, when you look at like of the pitchers who are not rentals or Relievers, because like Graveman had like an extra year on his deal, so not quite a true rental, but also not essential. Like when you look at like the only player moved, who was like not or 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 could have been part of future White Sox rosters. And for the foreseeable future, that was Jake Berger. And, you know, according to Kim Eng, Kenny Williams was the one that drove that deal. <laughs> so like, is it the case of like, yeah, Rick, you trade the rentals when it comes to shaping the bigger picture, I'll take care of that. Like, that's another thing that just kind of flashed across my mind right now in terms of like, you know, who's who has the confidence to kind of steer this organization towards the next iteration versus like who's currently just kind of in the chair, doing the day to day stuff. That's um, like, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that assessment, but if I'm thinking loud because we are just kind of idly speculating, like that's something that did cross my mind.
1: That's a really good point, Jim. So to wrap up as far as this podcast episode, as we talk about the palace intrigue of the white Sox, stuff that's on the field, Jim, you got a chance to see the Charlotte Knights. They visited the Nashville sounds, uh, this past weekend. What did you see? What did you like? What didn't you like?
2: uh kind of a whole lot of nothing right now when it comes to the roster like it's basically Corey Lee and Adam Hackenberg and Jordan Leisure and that's more or less it. with Lamine Sosa currently in Chicago like that's kind of it like everybody else is more or less like the Tyler Naquins and Eric Gonzalez's and such and um like it's pretty bleak when it comes to total talent level and like Adam Hackenberg was like good behind the plate I was like sitting or standing behind the plate taking photos and just watching him block pitches and hearing a lot of attaboy hacks out of the dugout um you know not really giving up a, not giving up a base on a wild pitch or pass ball a lot of traffic on the base paths a lot of balls in the dirt and like he kept everything in the batter circle dirt so that was uh you know cool to see up close and get an understanding of that Corey Lee like caught a I think it was a three hitter like one run game the the one run was scored in the ninth inning, but like he caught a good game dealt with very little traffic. So like his blocking wasn't a point of emphasis, but like seemed to catch a good game or like the Nashville hitters were, you know, not able to handle what like a Charlotte bullpen game could do. So there was that his timing at the plate though, looks like a mess. Like I think four, three pitch strikeouts, Um, not a whole lot of loud contact. So like, I don't think we're seeing him at his best or at his fully functional. He came to the White Sox off an oblique injury. But like his timing isn't there yet. So when I hear people saying, like, why is Yasmani Money Grandal still around? Why isn't Corey Lee up? It's like he doesn't look good in Charlotte right now. So like I'm I'm inclined to say, like, yeah, give him, you know, give Yaz the whole month of August to allow Zavallo to come back to allow Lee to look more like what he's supposed to look like. And then, you know, see which two or three catchers you want to give the playing time to in September. But based on the way Corey Lee looked at the plate, like he still needs some reps in Charlotte to just, you know, get his timing back because just a lot of swings and misses, swings and misses in the zone, like not wild hacking, but just, you know, foul balls, following up pitches that were drivable, swinging at pitches that were, you know, decent pitches and and swinging over them. So I don't think he's there yet, but um, want to give him some time and new organization and often injury to like before making any kind of Definitive conclusion. The good news is that uh, from here, Winston Salem is in Bowling Green, which is an hour north of Nashville. So I'll be driving a couple uh, times over this next week to see what the Winston Salem dash have. And uh, that roster should have more going for it.
1: Yeah. The Charlotte Knights of the first half of the international league were 35 and 40 with a run differential of minus 103, which is just crazy, but they were 35 and 40 in the first half. In the second half, the Charlotte Knights are eight and thirty seven with like a run differential of more than a hundred and sixty. They're at negative one hundred sixty three a run differential in forty five games. Holy cow. They're two and sixteen at home.
2: Yeah. Wow. I <sighs> um well it reminds me of like my first uh writing assignment or like first time doing like anything you know resembling beat work was in Missouri. And I was covering the mid Missouri Mavericks, which was a frontier league team, independent baseball in their first year of existence. And like Jack Clark was the manager and like Jack Clark, big name, uh, former Cardinal, like he's got some appeal. That, that'll get some uh, people interested in this new ballpark. that's not affiliated with any major league team to you know, come to see what the mid Missouri Mavericks are all about. And I think they started out like five and 30 or something like that, something terrible. And like, I got a good education in like, asking the same questions or figuring out different ways to ask the same questions and talk to players who are clearly like not, you know, doing well. And like Jack Clark was uh like kind of just like cashing a check. Like he parked behind center field. And so like I couldn't even get a hold of him the first three games because he disappeared after the game. Then I realized like, oh he doesn't actually go to the clubhouse. He just walks out straight to center field and goes to his uh his SUV that's parked behind the fence. So like uh you know that's what when I think of a, like a single-digit win total and then like a loss total in the 30s, I think of the Mid-Missouri Mavericks and just like what that looked like. And yeah, I mean, I suppose like watching Charlotte, like being in the photo well next to the dugout, like you know, there's still camaraderie and like you know, there's still like a lot of chatter and such. And like all these guys are trying to be good, be better. Like it just. It's a roster, unfortunately, that does not have talent in terms of like the, the, the upcoming prospect talent that's all in Birmingham or it's all in Chicago. Like there's a fallow period there. And then just, you know, they have to fill in the roster with all these guys who are uh, quadruple a at best, but also just, you know, maybe guys who had their major league shot and are now just being in baseball for as long as possible. And this is what you get.
1: The Charlotte Knights for the year are 43 at 77. They have a witty percentage of 358. So enter that into your calculation. If you still want to believe the Chicago White Sox in 2024 are going to contend the AAA team is faring
2: much worse than the major league team. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Corey Lee for Yasmani Grandal is basically like the player analog of the team fortunes. Like, call him up. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. And the answer is, pretty much no, unless, you know, you just, you know, pure nihilism sets in and like, yeah, sure. Who cares? I just, don't, I don't want to feel things anymore. Then yeah. Call up, you know, Corey Lee and the rest of the nights. But right now it just, it's, you know, I think it makes a lot more sense to think about 2025. And that's why I think Rick Hahn having one year left in this deal. And as you mentioned, like being a bad time to have a lame duck uh, calling the shots and, and, and really being the architect of that, that 2025 roster uh, is certainly a, a fascinating time to bring that up.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great way to end this episode, Jim. Great point. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast as my voice is giving out. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, X, whatever it's called, Instagram threads, at Sox Machine. You can follow me there at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And we also upload our podcast into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine. I know the team sucks, guys, but it does warm my heart with your guys' continued growing support of us on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for your continued support of us on patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get Exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we get new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all the things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
3: MyPatriotSupply.com